0: Hello everybody and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing episode 3 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Ghosts of Illyria." Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who's Story himself, Cal Jones. How are you doing, man?
1: You know what? I've been away for two weeks. I'm glad to be back. And, you know, I wish I could tell you where I'd been, but unfortunately, it's classified.
0: As many things are. <laughs> and also on the podcast, we have Jeremy Barrow. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well. And I'm also glad to be back after several weeks of not being able to show up.
0: Yeah, man. And last but certainly not least, we have Jonathan Shorts returning. How are you doing?
3: I am doing well, man. I'm glad that I have been here in the past few weeks. And isn't that a strange new world? Indeed it is, sir. <laughs>
0: We do have a piece of feedback from last week's Trek trivia. John, if you can enlighten us, what was last week's Trek trivia question?
3: Last week's question was an early draft of TNG's Journey In included the revelation that one of Trek fans favorite reoccurring guests, keyword being reoccurring, was in fact a traveler. Who was this person?
0: Mm. And we did get feedback from Connor Harrell, as well as Joanne Robertson on Twitter. And they write that the answer to that question is Boothby. None other than Ray Walston himself.
3: Bling, 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 bling. That is very correct.
0: Correctamundo.
3: Good job.
0: That's a deep cut, man, because I had no idea what the answer to that was. <laughs>
3: But wouldn't that make sense, though? That Like, who's better as a traveler than Boothany right there at Starfleet headquarters?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. <laughs> and guys, of course, if you want to respond to Trek trivia or any other thing we talk about, please send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social media. And stay tuned for a new Trek trivia at the end of this episode. And we're going to jump right into our review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Ghost of Valeria," which was written by Akilah Cooper and Bill Walkoff, while Leslie Hope directed the episode. The USS Enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship and one by one, the entire crew is incapacitated except for number one, who must now confront a secret she's been hiding as she races to find a cure.
1: All right, everyone, if you have not seen this episode, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers.
3: Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an undead. At ease before you sprain something.
0: Thank you for that spoiler warning, Cal. And as always, we go to you for the beats of the episode as well. So Cal Jones, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. But what do you have for us
1: this week? All right. So obviously I can't go back and give you what I would have said the last two weeks because A, I was not here, and B, as I said before, it's classified. But for this week, I'm going to quote a very wise gentleman, and th- this quote is, Everyone fears that which they do not understand, and that was from Professor Charles Francis Xavier. Why, is, that his real, is that his middle name for real? Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, my God. I know this. <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now.
3: <laughs> How about some Marvel trivia in the middle of trivia? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> oh, boy. But indeed, it is quite appropriate. Everyone fears that which they do not understand.
0: Oh, man, a lot to understand our secret. I was a secrets spread throughout this episode. But John, I'm going go to you for your high level opinion of this episode. What did you think, sir?
3: It was a great episode. I truly enjoyed this episode. And man, talking about a surprising fact that we found out in this episode and I'm pretty sure that just kind of threw a lot of Trek fans into chaos. I don't know if it's chaos, surprise, shock, whatever the case may be. But it was, again, one of those great Trek episodes, man. It was a great problem to have. I understood it. The Trek No Babble was not confusing. We had, again, some great character building that was not over the top. So overall, man, great episode.
0: Jeremy Barrow, what do you think, sir?
2: I think Jonathan just kind of hit the hammer on the head there. I mean, hit the nail on the head there because I really, I really can't add anything to that. It was, a, it was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I think all the characters are are fleshing out, becoming well rounded, and it, it's it's quickly becoming one of my favorite series.
0: And Cal, do
1: you have any additional thoughts about this episode? The only thing that I will add is I'm curious to find out what this revelation that Jonathan says that may be freaking some people out. There was one thing in the story that I don't think set quite well with me, but other than that, I'm loving the episodic nature of this. I didn't think I would. I still like arcs. I'm used to that. I want that. But that said, I am enjoying this that we're getting. So I am enjoying it. So, yes, um, that's my two cents.
3: And maybe I missed the I, I don't think people are disagreeing with it. It is just a great revelation.
0: And as for me, I absolutely love this episode. Again, we're getting so much character building on a spin on a very classic uh, story type for Star Trek. So yes. that in itself, I really loved. I'm um, liking these revelations being peeled back from these different characters there was something that kind of didn't sit well with me, but we'll get into it. But overall, I really, I really enjoyed the episode, I think. So, Kyle and Jeremy, I want to throw back to you real quick before we get into the details. So, you haven't been around for the first two episodes, the first two reviews. How are you liking the series so far? And, Kyle, you can you can start us off.
1: So, kind of building on what I said before, I like this. I love my, uh, you know, I love my arcs. And I am missing that, but I think the casting is so spot on, and there's a freshness about it that is something, the tone of it is different from the other two Star Treks that we've recently got that were not animated in some some fashion. But the tone is so different, I do think it is truly classic Trek. In whatever shape, form, or fashion, whether it's DS9, Voyager, it's more in that mold. I am enjoying it, but I do have a question. And if you want to get Jeremy's thoughts before, then we can come back to my question. Because I do have a question about the series. Yeah, Jeremy, overall thoughts of the series so far?
2: I'm kind of right there with Kyle. I'm, I'm enjoying the episodic nature of it. I also like my arcs. But I think Doctor Who, if I may... Did a good job of both having the the episodic episodes with the arc overall. You know, so it can't be done with both. But I, I'm enjoying this break of of episodes, of single stories. It's refreshing. It doesn't make me think too hard about what's going on, which is what I like about Star Trek. I can watch it, enjoy it. I don't have to, like, get too cerebral with it.
0: Yeah, and I want Kyle to come back to this question. But first, I want to say, for me, it makes me think about the characters more than I'm trying to figure out what this big mystery box for the season is so i'm enjoying after the episode's over you get the the nice little bow and the message from the episode but i'm really thinking about these characters when the episode's in so kyle go ahead and let us know what this question is this burning question you have for us about this
1: series all right so here's my question my i don't want to call it concern but just my question in general about this series So the way I perceive, let's use discovery as an example, I see an arc, a season of discovery as months maybe at a time, weeks, months, you know, an extended period of time because of that arc, because of that drawn out story that said five-year mission. Does this mean that this is a two-year series or does it mean that one season could be two months in the in one year Do, or is it just open or am I thinking too much into it uh, well
0: we know we're still about 10 years before TOS so I think at this point I wouldn't think about it too hard of course I think we're going to see some characters progress over the course of their multiple high ma- ever many seasons they have you're going to see hopefully see your hero go from cadet to you know moving up in rank so I I think at this point,
1: we just don't have to think about it too hard. But you see where I'm coming from, though? They, they By them saying the five-year mission in the opening credits, that's what's making me think this question is you're presenting five years at, at the beginning of every show.
3: I, I mean, I get where you're coming from, Cal. But, I mean, that's easily rectified because, of course, every mission starts out with a time frame. Don't necessarily mean that time frame has to stick. And being uh, like Clarence just mentioned, we're 10 years before TOS. So we really have 10 years to play with.
0: Yeah. And the fact that by the time we get to TOS, we know that Pike is already advanced to fleet admiral. Right. Uh, So, you
1: know, they have they have a lot of leeway to play with it however they wish. Don't overthink it. And who's to say that there is not more than one five year mission?
0: True. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's get right into the storyline, and I'm going to give some backstory here, so bear with me just a moment. We start the story on Head Nine, the site of an abandoned Illyrian colony, where, as part of a standing mission, the crew looks to find out exactly what happened to the inhabitants. Illyrians are humanoid species known for modifying their genes to enhance their capabilities and level of function, which makes them outcast because of their genetic modifications being forbidden by the Federation. Most of the way team barely makes it back to the ship while Pike and Spock are trapped to ride out the storm. So did you think we'd be dealing with a virus when the transporters started to malfunction? I want to throw this to Jonathan first, because I thought we were going to get like some misformed crew members. <laughs> I didn't think it would be a virus that we'd be dealing with.
3: Uh, no, I, I far, I never expected that. What I kind of expected was that. So you know, you kind of expect you go on this mission and this this supposedly be deserted planet of this species that used to live there, it no longer lives there. Well, something gets transported back. Maybe mm. it's the ghost of this species or spirit or another entity comes back on the ship. That's kind of the twist I was expecting. I was nowhere near expecting a virus.
1: What I expected not was deformed crew members. I was expecting crew members' consciousness in other crew members' bodies. I Mm. thought that was what we were going to see. So we get Hemmer
0: showing off his skills to get the transporters back powered up so we can get the crew in. How do you like Hemmer as the chief engineer here? He's very smart, very sure of himself, and almost arrogant.
1: I wonder... If at some point in space and time, or whatever you want to call it, that these this character and a gentleman whose last name is Stamets would be friends, because I could (laughs) so see it. Yeah.
2: Well, he states he's a genius. Yeah. Arrogance is there. He's full of arrogance, but I like this character. He's not obnoxiously genius. He goes in, he he does what he has to he will p- push you to the side, does what he has to do, and then leave. And I can appreciate that. Well, he's no Chief O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Certainly. Uh, but I do like him. I I am enjoying this character. Although I I have yet I, I want to see his engineering skills for sure. So far we just got going on his word. Mm. You know, there he did something to the transporters. We don't know what he did to make it work or did he do anything or was it a grand genius idea? Did he just press a button that someone forgot to press? So we don't know that yet. We hadn't really, really fleshed out what his skills are, but as a character, I love the dynamic and the interaction between him and the rest of our crew.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think he's so smart that, that, you know, of course that's a big part of him being arrogant, but the fact that he's able to beam up a, a, a chunk of the mantle of this planet, and put it into
1: entertainment field.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's pretty sharp. I, I'm liking him so far. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm going to back up what you just said about the arrogance. I think someone with that capacity doesn't have the capacity to realize what they're being. I know that's saying the same thing in reverse. But he's so smart that he doesn't realize that he's being rude.
0: Ah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, Jeremy, I want to ask you about. Una Chen Riley in this episode. How did you like her taking command of the Enterprise once Pike and Spock were trapped on the planet? How did you feel about her taking command and and directing various people to try to solve this problem?
2: She was ready for it. She just jumped in and knew what she was doing. Didn't question herself. And the crew didn't didn't look at hers like looking at her like you know well what is this woman doing? She stepped up. She acted the part, and she did a good job.
0: I really loved her command presence. Nothing skipped the beat. <laughs> She's very good at her job. I loved all of that. And there's one moment on the bridge where there's only like one guy, but everybody else is women, which I really loved as well. So <laughs> so that was freaking cool.
3: You know, when when she first took command, she kind of had that bit of hesitation. And she kind of looked around like, oh boy, I'm about to sit in this chair. And to myself, I'm thinking Well, that's not that's not number one. I figure she'll take that like gladly, like authority. But as we go through the show, we realize that hesitation wasn't because of the task. It was because of her thoughts in the background of they're on this planet where Illyrians are. And there's there's issues there. There's history. Yeah. So, I mean, just processing that. So even more kudos to her for
1: commanding the ship, even with those thoughts in her mind. I more than anything like the presence that she brings to the story. Even without even saying anything, there's just something, a certain mystique about her that is just really cool. And I like her. You
0: just want to say mystique, didn't you? Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's number two.
0: (laughs) Stop it with the Marvel stuff, man. So, John, I have to throw this to you first. As an exploration of that formula we was talking about, virus breaking out on ship is a very different type of virus, one that spreads by light. I think that's something new. How do you feel about how it was played out in this episode?
3: Yeah, that's definitely something (laughs) new. I like the idea. I like the idea because once we found out it was a virus again, and I had no problems with it. They could have played this out just like every other virus attack on board the ship that we've ever seen. And I would have been perfectly okay with it. But the explanation of the light and the transfer and all of that, that just made it that much more cool to me. And it was a simple explanation. And I don't know. I mean, that's it's plausible. I mean, if you get down into the science of light and light waves, like it's possible Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. So I I did enjoy it. And that was a very shocking twist. I did not expect that. And especially the way they figured that out. So I just loved Ona's approach on trying to figure this out. So she goes to Aura's quarters and like, what were you doing? And she like recreates those events. What better way to find out the pathology of a virus. Yeah. And to actually put yourself in the situation and repeat it. Exactly. That was just ingenious on her and quick thinking.
0: Did any of you guys have a favorite moment of the light addiction? I feel like we're getting in some of that almost naked now craziness of <laughs> of stuff happening. Not as extreme, of course, but there, there, those are pretty crazy things to get more light. Any of these scenes <laughs> that really, really tickled your fancy or that you want to dive into?
3: Well, I'll say this is the very simple one, but the very first instance, and I don't know what the guy's—I forgot the instant Lance, instant Lance. Like he's—he's he's just looking at it like, "Oh man, I gotta have it! I gotta have it!" I need to he just headbutts the glass. So good, so good. I was like, "Man, this guy has lost his freaking mind." Oh,
0: I loved it so much, man! It was so good, and. And I also like the one with the hero waking up. They're like, What the fuck are y'all doing? <laughs> they're just bathing in the light. <laughs> yeah, they were like, Why did you do that for? We need light. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> and I really loved as well their quarters looking Lord Dex esque, where we said they're all crammed in the same room, which I thought was pretty cool.
3: We're not going to compare that. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cool. I I was not expecting that, especially to have a bridge officer sharing quarters with two other people. Yeah. Like usually bridge officers have their private quarters or at very least they have another bridge officer in the quarters with them. So that was shocking. Yeah. Even though she is a cadet. cadet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that may have a bearing on it.
0: So the other examples we have, uh, I mentioned the hammer and the planet's mantle earlier and also, we have Leanne trying to breach the warp core to get more light. So, you know, those are pretty notable one
3: fits as well. Go figure she would be the one to go extreme.
0: <laughs> For real. She went all the <laughs> way with it, yo.
3: <laughs> like, golly, between her and him, I'm like, you guys, like, at least the other ones had like a somewhat educated. Try at it. Like they just went complete suicidal. Like, let's blow up the war core so I can get a little bit of light.
0: <laughs> Never mind the repercussions.
3: <laughs> but the two guys in uh Yora's quarters, like, wasn't that smart? Let's let's go into holodeck and kick on some light.
0: Which I didn't see anybody complaining about the holodeck projector there, you know. Right. <laughs> so.
3: hey, true, true. Which there is grounds for it. There was uh Holographic technology in Enterprise. I mean, not on Enterprise, but I mean, they had that species they met up with. And, you know, Tripp went over there and they showed him their holographic technology and he wound up being pregnant. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so it did exist in those times.
0: So you, as you mentioned before, Una, she has this similar effects to the light, but she burns it off like it's nothing. At the time I saw that at first, I really didn't even blink. I really didn't notice that she had burnt off the virus, but obviously she did. So let's get into Una's secret. How do we feel about Una having this this big secret that she is an Alarian, A big one to keep when you're actually going to one of their planets, one of their colonies. Right.
3: Hence the hesitation of taking command. I I couldn't imagine what she's going through. And to keep that from Starfleet for so long. So I mean, couldn't you imagine like if if that was your secret? And you are looking at the mission briefing and it's saying we're going to this planet where your species were in the back of your mind. You're telling yourself, I'm going to be found out on this mission.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
3: imagine having to carry that burden through that mission.
0: It really made me think of the the U.S. military policy what was it don't ask, don't tell that they mm-hmm. had for so long. It really made me think of that. But, yeah, just a huge secret to keep. You know, she just takes him and throws him over her shoulder. Yes. (laughs) That's when I started to like be like, huh, what's going on with you? That's that's a little different.
3: And, and this is highly reminiscent of another character on Deep Space Nine, Mm. Clarence, you know who that is?
0: Dr. Bashir.
3: Dr. (laughs) Bashir. Yeah. So he went through the same thing, genetically modified, had to hide it to get in Starfleet, had to limit himself to make sure he wasn't found out. But once he was found out, then we could see his full potential blossom throughout the show. So imagine what we're going to get from number one going forward.
0: Kyle, thoughts on Una, her
1: secret, and the implication of eugenics here? So my thought with her is, and more so this may be a broader statement than just her, but what I'm really liking about for the most part, there is one thing that I don't like, but for the most part, what I'm liking about what they're doing is they're taking what I'm going to call the Stephen Moffat trope. And what what I mean by that is they're taking characters and adding to them, but not at the same time de- detracting away from them. In other words, they cast someone who looked physically like the original actor who played number one's part. And now they are adding things to this character's backstory that in my mind, further enhances going back and watching that original TOS pilot. That I love. Now, specific to this episode, the special effects that they used when she was absorbing the delight, I just thought looked freaking cool.
3: I've seen that
1: somewhere before.
3: It may have been on trick. Somehow someone was bioluminescing. Was, wasn't that Harry kelm
1: Yeah. But also different coloration. But it is similar to Jamie Foxx's look as Electro, wh- whereas his was blue and yellow, then, you know, that's different, but, but still kind of the same look.
0: Cal, you know, that's your third Marvel reference. So I think you just struck out for the day. We got to kick you off the podcast.
3: <laughs> You're gone.
0: <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Leon and her hate of eugenics. Now, very good reason to hate it. Very good reason to hate it. But is she overcompensating for the deeds of her ancestor, Khan Noonien Singh?
2: Yes, I believe she is. (laughs) She's just so hardcore. There's no character on this show that I don't like. I like every character, but she is falling. She's at the bottom of that list because she just has no give to her whatsoever. And she's carrying this burden herself when she doesn't necessarily have to.
3: Now, I have to come to her defense, so... You're the ancestor of uh, the probably the most dangerous man in history of the Federation, and you survived uh, <laughs> on the Gorn planet. Yeah, when everybody around you was killed and eaten. So, like, I, I, I give her a little, I give her a little leeway on her hard exterior. So it, it's that's a lot to carry and a lot to deal with, and it couldn't went the other way. She could have been diehard soon and trying to re renew
1: the whole eugenics thing. Mm. I kind of go a different direction with that. I don't have a problem with her as a character. I kind of find her refreshing. What I did have a problem with was a little bit of the way it was written. And what I mean by that is I see strange new worlds as a introduction or a welcoming for People who do want the episodic, who do not want to be tied down with a lot of information. That said, the way this seemed to be presented to me was there is an assumption that we know her last name and what her last name means. Uh, Not everyone does.
0: I don't know. I think they gave us enough back information that you didn't have to know anything before. I mean, Una kind of just explains it out when she's having that conversation with her. They're yeah. talking talking about the complexity of their relationship. I think she just kinda of explains it, you know, what's going on exactly. Now, are you gonna know the whole future? This happens in the future now. When Kirk meets Khan and they have this whole battle that goes into a movie. No, <laughs> you're not gonna know any of that. But I think they give us enough for the context of this episode to get somebody that doesn't
1: know anything about it through it. I think so. Maybe I, I need I to go watch so. it again. But but that but that was what I took away, but 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 very valid point.
3: And I I say that because, I mean, admittedly, I am not a big TOS. Well, I'm not going to say a big fan. I am a big fan. I just have not watched it as much as I've watched the rest of the franchise. So the whole Noonian scene thing, like I I have not really followed that very closely. So I'm not very well versed on it. But that being said, I had no issues trying to keep up with this particular storyline. And it was I think it was good because they needed to give us something to tie us in. To the rest of trick lore, uh, just because it's trick, right? So yes. like we need to tie it in, but it was not overboard. Like it was not making, we're trying to stick to the episodic series and not really give big arc. So, I mean, that's probably the best way to do it. Cause I mean, if you tie too much into the past or the future, like then you are kind of creating an arc you have to follow. And then that would kind of lose the track that we're on.
0: Well, let me say this two cow's defense, and this is just me from the more you know the more you're gonna think. I feel like for anybody who didn't know it they it probably would have brushed over them, but they still would have got the core point, but it had me thinking like, okay, I just watched Picard, and did the Eugenies War happen or not because <laughs> it was supposed to happen between in the nineties sometime in the nineties, so I'm really thinking like did it happen?" Or or did it get shifted up in time? We saw um, Adam Soong with the Khan Papers, which at the time I thought maybe he pulled it from the past, maybe to reintroduce that. But we never got any clear answer on what was going on. So it's either these two series were not in sync at all or I don't know, because it seems like they seem to be going with what we've already known of what the eugenics wars to be.
3: Yeah, I I think I think I think you're thinking too much of it because you know too much of it, like you said. (laughs) I I, I honestly and I could be very wrong, but I honestly don't think the writers intended for us to put that much thought into it and try to connect it. Which and you know, we're we're going through Discovery, Picard and all that, and these series are leading us to like formulized theories after theory after theory because of this grand arc. And there's so many twists and turns and revelations. And, you know, it's just kind of how it's been going. And what we all can, I think, can agree on in this point is that Strange New Worlds is a refreshing new trick that we kind of were just needing. You know what I mean? We needed a break. We needed a break from all of the connected drama we've been going through. So I don't really think they intended us to go that far into it.
0: Well, let's talk about a a bit of that connecting storyline that, you know, some of you guys so yearn for, which I do think we're getting. And I think we may see an example of it in this episode. So back on the planet, Pike and Spock, they get some answers after just barely surviving the ion storm, but they do survive. And I wanted to ask, does Pike's knowledge of his future provide him with the strength in situations like this? As to say, like, I'm going to survive through this. I know I'm going to make it. So, does it give him an extra bit of bravado or extra bit of confidence going into something if he embraces his fate 10 years from now? Or is the future can the future be changed? I don't know. Help me out here.
3: I didn't see that from him. I I, I didn't see in this particular scene like he I truly saw a fear of his demise in these Sequences Now, maybe he was pretending it would be hard to pretend that right in that moment. But I don't think in that moment. And I guess, again, put yourself in his shoes. Like, even if you know that, let's say you knew when you were going to die. Okay, we got that. So we know we're not going to die until that time. Now you're going on this mission and this is so very strange. It's a species that's not part of the Federation, never has been. There's been a big debate on whether what they did was right or wrong. We don't know what happened to them. We're trying to gather information. There's absolutely nothing on this planet. There's a storm coming. I'm not with my ship. And all of a sudden, these lightning creatures are coming out of nowhere. And the storm is coming. And they're beating down the doors. Like I argue the point that you kind of forget that I know when I'm going to die. Because you're in that moment. And in that moment, your body, whether you know or not, your body is fight or flight.
1: Mm. Any other thoughts? I like the round things
0: on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) It was a big data center, man. This was a data center.
2: It was kind of TARDIS like. I I liked it.
0: Oh boy, you guys are getting all of your fandoms mixed up here. We-
2: <laughs>
1: it's Trek. This is what happens whenever I miss two weeks. I mean, my brain gets come blah blah blah. 22. Hey, Cal, you know what?
3: You know what to help you get back on track? What you need to go watch. Lore dicks all from the beginning all the way through it no like-
0: no his he he needs to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow that's what helped him get back to where he needs to be right Kyle? Uh, yes indeed let's get into the hilarious just a little bit more before we move on they got into this whole situation of becoming a part of this ion storm and energy energy form you know something we've seen before in star trek it kind of reminded me of the episode of tng where the prisoners are in that... It's not an ion storm, but they're in the storm on this planet and they try to take over the ship by inhabiting some of the crew members. It kind of reminded me of that. But they get all of this by trying to de-engineer themselves to become normal people in order to join the Federation.
1: I kind of think that this ion storm and, and this is just m- my theory here... I'm thinking this ion storm that happened, happened while they were doing their experimenting, and that plus that equals they became something that they didn't really intend to, and now they're stuck at that. Going back to the fear of what you don't understand, we're seeing those, quote-unquote, energy creatures as the enemy when, in fact, they're there to protect you, and that I thought was poetic but but as far as how they look i think it was just an accident and their their genetics was open and they just merged together there you go so that's the way i saw it
3: that's essentially what uh, spock pretty much deduced was that
1: you know they ran out into the light and kind
3: of merged into it but you know what? This strangely, and this is kind of sidetrack. We're talking about going into other franchises, but have you any of you guys watched the uh, Netflix series *Raising Dion*? No. Okay. <laughs> it's it's not it's it's good, not great, but it it's good. So these scientists were in Alaska or somewhere, and they were studying something. And anyway, lightning struck uh, one of these people, and somehow introduced some kind of entity into them and they became like a lightning creature and that just kind of what it reminded me of. They were like these powerful lightning creatures and really what it came out, like everybody thought it was just, nobody knew what it was, nobody knew what it was but it come to find out it was actually their loved ones that were attacked in that scientific adventure. Oh wow. And yeah, and they were turned into these huge lightning storm men and women. So anyway, that's what it struck me as and I so when I seen that this just kind of what I just kind of gravitated to was, Hey, this is the Ilarians that are missing.
0: What about the sheer thought of them even attempting to de-engineer themselves to become a part of the Federation? Just the implications of that, like is the Federation and we, well, just to go back to Picard again, we saw where the board came on the scene and they wanted to be a part of the Federation is the Federation that coveted. We see where Una has hidden her abilities just to be a part of the Federation So I just find it very interesting that you have these people who have went off and tried to better themselves in a sense by genetic engineering. But at some point they wanted to be a part of this bigger group, this federation that we all covet so badly that they're willing to de-engineer themselves just to be normal to fit in.
1: I think the story or the message that they're trying to portray is larger than the actual story that's overlaid their meaning. Yes, it's the Federation exactly the way you at just asked the question. But I think the other social context that they're overlaying on that is anyone, whether it is a group of podcasters, whether it's at work, whether it's whatever, a social group or whatever the case may be. It is someone, whether it's religious, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's whatever the case may be, fill in the blank, conforms to whatever or hides whatever because of that fear of not being accepted, not being a part of that greater whole. I think that's what they're portraying.
3: And so, and just a little history, I, I you know, based off of the little history we know of Valerians, like I wouldn't think they would want to be part of the Federation, but- you know, there was an episode in Enterprise where, and I actually had to, I looked this up in my research of Elarians and found out. So, uh, what was it? I forgot the name of the episode, but they were in the Delphic Expanse chasing the Zindi. Uh, Zendi attacked Enterprise, destroyed their warp coil. Uh, so they met up with these creatures that were also, with well, a species that was also stuck in the Delphic Expanse. And they had been attacked and their ship was being destroyed by the whatever occurrences that was produced by those fears. Anyway, long story short, Archer needed that warp coil so they could you know, save Earth from being destroyed. And this species didn't give it to them. So Archer decided to go back and rob them and take it from them <laughs> and leave them in a the Delphic expanse with because they have no warp drive. Now it takes them three years to get home. Wow. That was their first experience with the Federation. So why would you want to be part of that now? Wait, that was the Alarians? That well, yeah, that was the Alarians. Oh wow!
0: So this is yeah. the first time we've seen them.
3: No, now they were not. They were not named in that episode as Alarians, but it, it's not, well in Memory Alpha they call them Alarians. Huh. Cool. Per, per the writers.
0: Cool. So let me get some thoughts on the Mbinga storyline. Uh he has this huge secret of course he's part of the reason we had this transport accident that he's keeping his child in the transporter buffer. Oh ah, man. Oh this is the part of the episode that I really didn't like. He's the chief medical officer on the flagship vessel and he didn't think he had any pull to try to get some help on this issue. I just I I, I appreciate the backstory here to to make us like this character a little bit more
1: but it just felt almost too off. Uh. I did not like it. I did not like it. I just, I don't know. I love the, well, I'm saying I didn't like it and then say, I love something. I did like the interaction between the actor and the child actor. I, you know, I, I thought all that was good, but I just can't wrap my head around the fact that you hid this from your captain and et cetera. And so forth. I just, I just didn't like it.
2: Well, there's there's a bit of, I would think there's a bit of professional embarrassment because as he said, he's the chief medical officer of the flagship of Starfleet. He cannot cure his own daughter. So why would you want to go? Hey, hey, this is coming from a father's perspective. If you can't cure your own child, if you can't help your own child, you do not want to go broadcasting that. You want to do what you can for your child, but you don't want everyone to know that you can't do this. So like as somebody who's raised children, I can see where he's coming from on a paternal level, but I don't disagree with what you're saying, but just, you know, from a father's perspective, I see what he's going through too.
3: And it's that, and I was okay with it just for the fact, like, let's say, and I mean, we're, this mission wasn't really planned very far ahead. Like, they weren't supposed to leave as soon as they were planning on leaving. I mean, we know that from the first episode because Pike didn't expect the enterprise to be leaving out until a certain amount of time. So if his daughter was sick and he knew it and he couldn't cure her and he knew it, and maybe she was, he was just kind of planning on, you know, accepting the fact that she's going to die. But all of a sudden we have this opportunity that we're going to go out and maybe I can run into a cure. Like, so, and yeah. maybe he did reach out to Starfleet. Hey, is there any way I could bring a stasis pod on board, the power, power, stasis pod and put my daughter in it. And they're in a hurry to get there. And they're probably like, well, listen, we need to get this approved. We need to get, there's things to go through. We can't just stick a stasis pod How, You know, at last minute, like, and you're a father with a dying child. And now you're thinking I am the chief medical officer on a, sh- on the flagship that's going out. Then I may run into a cure. Like my, His first thought is going to be, what can I do? They won't clear me to do this just yet. So I'm just going to put her in a transporter buffer.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm sick of my guns by saying I didn't like it. Uh, I I, I see his reasoning, but I I just something about it. I just didn't like. But this is an episode of secrets. Most certainly Hmm. Uh, going all the way back to, to Una's huge secret, which she has to explain to the captain, tries to resign. Of course, Pike says, no, you're the best first officer in the whole fleet. And she kind of grants him and bingo that same grace with his yeah. situation, which I really appreciate it.
3: Now, I do have a problem with why didn't anybody know that he had this pattern stored? So we've seen people stored in pattern buffers in a few different episodes. And it was always the reoccurring thing is it took so much power to keep that pattern stored in a pattern buffer. It took so much of the memory core of the computer and so much power to do that. Like there's no reason why the medical transporter should be consuming that much power on an ongoing basis. Somebody should have noticed that.
0: Yeah. You would think him or smart enough to, to know everything else, which he figured it out. But yeah, you think somebody would know now this one might be a little bit different since it's a medical transporter, which, you know, that's pretty interesting as well. And up until I think they said up until the refit, it was standalone or it wasn't connected, but they connected everything to make everything more efficient and redundant in the last refit. So I, I guess that does make some sense. But but yeah, I agree with you. It just seems like kind of far fetched. But, you know, we're talking about a space show and a far future. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will start. I'm going to give this a 4.5 Really loved it. Almost perfect. But there's just a few things that I didn't love. But still, you know, 4.5 is pretty good. I really I really liked it all. I really liked everything and can't wait to see what they do
1: next. Mr. Jones, what do you think? I'm going to echo your 4.5. And only thing I will add to that is even though there was something that I didn't like, I still enjoyed the scenes with what I didn't like. So 4.5 for me. Mr. Barrow, what do you think, sir?
2: I'm going to continue this trend of 4.5, and I've got nothing else to add.
0: <laughs> awesome sauce, John.
2: Man, I, as the trick
3: story in here, you would think I would be overcritical of all trick that we watch, but in this case, man, and I don't know if I can find something that I maybe just didn't dislike the work. But I just love this series so far and I love the approach they're going. And it's a five for me. I I enjoyed it that much.
0: Yeah, man. Nothing wrong with that at all.
3: And I hate to be the one to give fives every episode, but I mean, (laughs) if it's that enjoyable, I loved watching it. I really did. Hey, we're
0: not going to yuck your yum, man. Keep, (laughs) keep it going. (laughs) So guys, what do you think of this episode? If you're out there listening You can hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias or hit us up fans at DiscussingTrek.com via email. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what is our Trek trivia for this week?
3: All right. So Trek trivia for this week. Which of our TOS characters that is also in Strange New Worlds was actually created from a purchased but never produced TOS script called Shawl.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs>
3: I don't think any of
0: us know that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> so to reiterate, which of our characters in Strange New Worlds who were also on the original series was originally created in a unused script with the title Shawl? So if you know the answer to that question, again, hit us up. We will love to hear your feedback. And John is, of course, going to give us the answer next week. And I'm going to have to do a bit of research on that because I do not know.
1: (laughs) You go deep. I mean, I am seriously (laughs) impressed. Oh, boy.
0: And with that, guys, we're going to wrap up. Thank you for joining. And we're going to see you next week. So until next time, to everyone listening, live long and prosper.